Listen, uh, tonight we're going to start a new series. It's called Bliss. Um, and the first couple of weeks, Pastor Farrell and I are going to kind of tag team the message. My name is Scott Jennings. If you don't know me, uh, I'm the pastor of Marriage and Family Life here at the Bridge, uh, here in Goldsboro, and also in Princeton. Um, at the third week of Bliss, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to have sort of a panel up here. Uh, my wife, the fabulous Sherry, who's right down here, she's going to be up here with us. She's got her, uh, she's got her fan club here tonight. Uh, and Pastor Farrell will be up here, and uh, we're trying to convince Miss Millie, but I don't know if that'll, that'll work. But um, she's a, she likes to be, unless she's singing, she likes to be with the kids. But what we're going to do is we're going to read your questions. If you have questions for us about relationships, about marriage, about anything to do with relationships at all, and it doesn't just have to be like you would think, you know, uh, a marriage relationship. Maybe you're having trouble with a coworker or uh, a sister or uh, a mother-in-law, but uh, I'm not going to go there because you guys will throw stuff. I've seen you do it before. So... Um, what you want to do is, um, we didn't make up a special form or anything for that, so you can just write them on the Connect card, if, and uh, if you've got the questions, and turn them in either as the offering goes by or turn them in at the Connect Center. The other thing you can do, and I didn't put them up on the screen, but I figured they were pretty easy to remember, you can email me or Sherry or Farrell questions, uh, and uh, our email addresses are just our names, scottjennings at bridgechurch.cc, sherryjennings at bridgechurch.cc and Farrell uh, Hardison at bridgechurch.cc. I was tempted there to give him a hard time, because he may listen to this later, about injuring himself at wiffle ball, but I'll leave that for another time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. We're going to start tonight in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So uh, while you're turning to that, uh, that chapter, let me just hit something really quickly. Have we got any Top Gun men here tonight? Top Gun yeah. men? Nice, okay. There aren't many of them, but they're loud, so you get the idea. Um, we had a, a real life-changing weekend in Virginia in March, and uh, man, it was, it was really just amazing. It's called Top Gun. There's actually a women's version of Top Gun. It's called the Women's Deepening Weekend, and that's coming up June 8th through 10th, 8th through 10th, and I want to really encourage you, husbands, enable and equip and, and empower your wives to go to this weekend. They will come away changed. They will come away changed. If you want information about that, just email Sherry or come up afterwards and talk to her, okay? All right, so let's get started here. Genesis chapter 3. If you, if you have your notes, um, and Genesis chapter 3 is up there on, on the screen, that's awesome because my media team back there is on the ball. Um, but I'm gonna, actually going to ask them to put up that quote if they would. Uh, I want you to write this phrase down. Relationships are truly maximized when we're willing to get on the same page. Relationships are truly maximized when we're willing to get on the same page. If you want to experience bliss in your relationships and for your relationships to go to the next level with any, any person at all, it doesn't just have to be your spouse, but anybody, okay? And more specifically, if you want your relationship to go to the next level with God, you and I have to be willing to get on the same page with one another, and we have to be willing to get on the same page with him, with God, right? Because here's the deal. If there's tension, if there's tension in any relationship in your life, uh, again, I don't, it doesn't matter what relationship it is. I'm not just talking to married people, although I am talking to them. Are we having microphone problems? 
What do I need, tape? Whoa. What do I need, scotch tape here? This is my roadie. This is my roadie for the night. That's going to hurt later. Can I just tell you that? I'm going to the hurt locker later just for you guys. <clears throat> oh, that feels weird. Okay. If there's tension in any relationship in your life, okay, and again, it doesn't matter what relationship, if it's your parents, if it's your kids, if it's a coworker or your spouse, you're not on the same page. You're just not on the same page with that person, okay? And if you're, if you're not on the same page, it's because this person wants this and you want this, right? They're, you want two different things, and we, we're selfish by nature. So we're always fighting so hard for what we want. We want what we want, right? You deserve a break today, have it your way, right? It's everywhere, okay? So we can't come to any kind of a compromise, so there's always going to be some natural tension when you're not on the same page. There's some people here tonight who uh, you feel tension in your relationship with God. Everybody wait. Wow, I've never looked that way when people are, most of you do it. That's pretty impressive. I, 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 I have no idea what I was talking about now. Oh, okay. There's people here tonight who feel like you have some tension in your relationship with God, okay? Because this is what God wants for your life over here, and this is what you want for your life over here. So you're not on the same page with God, all right? Let me just hit a point really quickly here for you, really, really quick. God's not going to change his mind for you. I don't, I don't know if you knew that, but God is never going to agree you're right and that he's wrong. Okay. You know, when you're not on the same page, there's tension and conflict, so it doesn't matter what, what, uh, what kind of relationship it is. Let me set it up like this real quick. And I'll use, use the marriage relationship because I'm married. So occasionally there's tension in that relationship, even for the marriage pastor, okay? So <clears throat> believe it or not. So typically there are, you've probably heard this before, Typically, there's two types of relationship or two types of personalities when it comes to money in a relationship, when it comes to money, okay? I see, I see some people already are like, oh, you don't know half of it. Yeah. Well, one person is usually the free spirit, okay? The free spirit. And I've shared this with some of you before. I'm, I'm the free spirit. So it's like if I've got five bucks in my pocket, I'm finding something that costs five dollars. <laughs> So I can spend that $5, right? And the other person is re- usually really frugal. They're responsible, right? They, they, uh, they tend to know how to t- balance a checkbook, which I'm 41 years old and I still can't do it right. So uh, that's not me. That's Sherry in our relationship. Sherry is the frugal one, the responsible one. I'm always the, the, the other kind. So uh, I remember this one time in, in particular. There was a, a motorcycle and uh, it was shiny, and it was loud, and man, it was awesome. And um, I don't know if it's like the frontier spirit or guys just have, they like stuff that gives them the potential to maim themselves. So I just had to have one. I had to have some. So, so I decided I was going to buy one. You notice I said, I decided I was going to buy one, right? Sherry was not part of the process at that time. So... Uh, Sherry had been working really hard to, to come up with a retirement plan for us. She had it all laid out. We had a 401k, we had an IRA, we had a Roth IRA, and la, 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 la. I have no idea what all that is. But she had it all squared away for us. So I found out that there was one of these accounts that you could take money out of and not be penalized for it. 
So I was like, okay. I'm not, I really have no idea how that worked. Some of you were going, it must have been a money blah, blah, something. I, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe you can share with me afterwards. But I, I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy he had this friend that had a bike that was like awesome and it was cheap. So I went and I took the money and I brought it home. And the first time Sherry found out about this decision that I made to buy a motorcycle was when I rode up into the yard with it. <clears throat> you know, made a little noise, you know. I'm pretty sure at that moment she went out and um, she took an insurance policy out on me. And you're thinking because of the motorcycle, but no, she was going to kill me. Um, so I think she had that in, in, in mind. But anyway, here's the deal. Anytime wants, one person wants one thing and the other person wants the other, there's going to be tension, okay? And for some of the married couples who are here today, some of the married couples, the reason there's tension in your relationship is because you're fighting in your marriage and you're not fighting for your marriage. You're fighting in your marriage, not for it, okay? I'm going to talk for a second about the beautiful thing about God. Sorry about the feedback. I'm loud. One of the many beautiful things about God is that he, would, he knew that we would forget his word on a fairly regular basis, on a fairly regular basis. So I, I, I'm a very forgetful person. I, people come up to me and ask me questions, you know, about things that are going on. I'm like, I, I don't know. You need to go talk to Sherry because I really can't remember. I'm sorry. You know, I, I use those yellow sticky notes, post-it notes. You guys love those things? I love those things. They're like all over my office you know, I stick them to the rearview mirror in my car sometimes, you know, sometimes on the dashboard or hopefully not directly in my vision in the car. But uh, I don't know who invented those things, but that's a, that was a great person. But I need reminders. I need reminders. God gave me Sherry to help me be where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. Uh, she helps me in that way. God has gifted me with her. She's a, she helps me remember. In the church, in the church, there are uh, two things that the church has traditionally called ordinances, ordinances, and, and, and they're in the scriptures, and they are designed to act as reminders for us. They're ordinances, okay? So every, one of those is baptism. You've seen us do baptism here before. We do it first Wednesday, right, out at, uh, out at the Princeton campus. You've seen it do, us do it there, okay? We explain what baptism is every single time that we do it because we want people to know what that's about. The second one that God gave us, the second ordinance that God gave us, it's called the Lord's Supper. It's called the Lord's Supper, okay? And we do that here at the bridge. So if you're at a church or from a church background, if, you're from, if you've been to church before, okay, you've probably taken part in the Lord's Supper before. Um, I have to be honest with you, I, I really didn't understand what the Lord's Supper was all about you know, until after I became a Christian and started uh, studying on that and reading about it, you know, a little more frequently and talking to other Christians about it. So, and I'm not talking about those Christians that, um, that they take their Bible down off the shelf every Sunday or maybe every Thursday and they come to church and they, and they act like everything's cool and they act like everything's okay and they act like, they're living the Christian life, and then as soon as they get back home, that Bible goes back up on their shelf again. I heard one pastor call those, those folks, it's like they were going to uh, the Christian prom, 
the Christian prom, right? Because they dress up for, for church and then they go. Um, but to, as, back to the Lord's Supper, as kids, um, I didn't grow up in church. I went to church probably, I, I remember maybe three times as a kid that I went to church. And I don't really remember taking the Lord's Supper. Maybe on, uh, if we went on Easter, we were Christer Christians, right? We went on Christmas and Easter. Um, and so, you know, it's like vague. That I, but what I do remember about it is like, mmm, dry cracker and like not enough juice. Thanks. That's tasty. You know, I had no idea what it was about. I just didn't know what the purpose was. I heard one guy say when he was new in church, He'd always get excited when they, they said, tonight we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because he thought that meant like, you know, the, the, the traditional maybe smaller churches, they have like a family supper, right? Somebody's really good at making macaroni, so they bring the macaroni, right? And another person's really good at fried chicken, so they bring the fried chicken. It's like whatever your best dish is, that's what you bring to the Lord, and then you have the Lord's Supper, right? This guy was single, though, so he'd, he'd bring like a dented can of pears or something, <laughs> something you get off the discount rack. So for years, they pass out the cracker, and you know what? Some churches do this every week. Some churches do, they celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, and that's great. Some churches, they'll do it on the fifth Sunday. They'll have uh, communion on the fifth Sunday or the Lord's Supper, and some churches do it once a quarter. And uh, we've had people ask us, I've, people have asked Pastor Farrell, people ask the other members of the staff, you know, w w why don't we take the Lord's Supper, you know, once a week or on a regular basis? And I don't think, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it or, or in terms of frequency, okay? Remember Pastor Farrell a couple weekends ago was talking about non-essential beliefs? Remember the non-essential beliefs he talked about, okay? He talked about uh, the rapture you know, whether you're pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or whatever, I mean, it's, and he was going to be right as we were, you know, rising up as it started, okay? That, that's one of those. That's one of those non-essential beliefs of frequency with which you, you take the Lord's Supper. But here's the deal. When we take the Lord's Supper here at the bridge, we want to take the time to explain what it's about. You went out, we, we really want to make sure that you know what we're talking about when we talk about the Lord's Supper and that you have a full understanding of what you're getting into, okay? And I know you're thinking, how does this relate to marriage? I'll get there, okay? How does this relate to relationships? I'll get there too. The Lord's Supper is not something God ever intended for a church to just tack on to the end of a service out of, like, obligation, okay? It's loaded, absolutely loaded with symbolic meaning. Absolutely loaded, okay? The Lord's Supper actually goes all the way back to Genesis. It actually goes back to Genesis chapter 3, and that's where it starts, okay? Genesis chapter 3 starts in the third chapter. You guys can throw that up there now. That would be great. God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, and man, things are going great, right? Things were awesome. We made it two whole chapters into the Bible, and then we screwed the whole thing up, right? Two whole chapters, but Genesis 1 and 2, seriously, the man and wife, they're naked. They're like running around the garden eating fruit, okay, having a great time. That's a good vacation right there, right? You probably don't want to bring the kids, but, um, but it's good. Anyway, God created man and women with so much freedom, and the only thing he said was, the only thing he said was, 
do not eat the fruit of this tree right here. This tree, you can have all that. Don't eat this. That was it. If you eat this, what? You will die, okay? You will surely die, okay? Now, a lot of people go, well, that's not really fair. Why would God do that? That's not really fair of him to do that, you know? Look, if I tell you don't go out and play in the road because an 18-wheeler is going to run you over and you will die, and then you go out in the road and you play in traffic and an 18-wheeler runs you over and, hit, and hits you, runs you down and kills you, am I being mean or intolerant of your right to play where you'd like, right? Or, or, or are you just a little dense because I said don't go play in traffic and you went and did it anyway, Okay. God said, don't eat the fruit from the tree. You can have everything else. Don't eat the fruit. That's all he said. God has given us so much freedom, but sure enough, Genesis chapter 3, we blow it. Even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed, reframed. They're not on the same page. Adam and Eve were not on the same page from that moment on, not with each other and not with God. That was, that was bliss. Before that happened, I mean, we've had some blissful moments in our lives. You know, maybe it was when, when you, you saw a, a grandchild being born or, you know, the first time you kissed your wife. I mean, those are blissful moments. We can't even comprehend what true bliss really is. That's what it was before the fall. So how did this happen? How did this happen? How did we get here? The snake comes up to Eve and he says, hey, 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 hey. Did God really say that you can't eat that fruit? Come on, Eve, did God really say that? Because if he's so loving, if he loves you so much, would he really say that? Wouldn't he want it for you? Listen, listen to me. You might want to write this one down too. I don't have it up on the screen. Rebellion always begins when you and I begin to question the word of God. Rebellion always begins when you and I begin to question the word of God. And I don't mean question like, what does that mean, God? You know, what do you, what do you mean by that in your word? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, did God really say you can't live together before you get married? Did, did God really say you can't have sex before marriage? Did God really say that? Did God really say I'm supposed to worship him? with everything I have, with everything I have, including my money and my time and my talents that he's given to me? I mean, did God really say that? That's when we get into trouble, when we start to rebel. Eve questioned the word of God, and, and how did that work out for her? Not, not well, right? Satan actually convinced Eve the reason God told you that is because he's holding out on you. He told you not to eat that fruit because he's holding something out on you. He, he wants to keep something from you. And that's just not, for, not true. God wasn't holding out on Adam and Eve. He, he, was, he was not holding out on them at all, okay? Eve fell for the lie. 
Eve fell from the lie, for the lie from the enemy, okay? And what's the power of a lie? That you believe it. A lie only has power if you believe the lie, right? And she believed it, all right? We don't know for sure if it was an apple. We don't know for sure, all right? But let's just, for argument's sake, let's say it was an apple. Let's say it was an apple. So she takes the apple, she eats it, she automatically, immediately feels bad, automatically feels bad about it. So she gives some to Adam. Thanks. He's wandering around, right? He's chasing squirrel, 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 right? You know, wandering around, like not really paying attention to what's going on. So he eats the apple, right? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, here's what happened. The Bible says they realized they were both naked. Now, typically I know if I'm naked, Right? I mean, I had a dream last night that I was standing up here naked. I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, some of you with public speaking maybe have had that dream before, but uh, I know when I'm naked. I don't know how they didn't know they were naked, okay? That'd be a question I'd love to ask God one day. But until that point, they didn't know. And all of a sudden, Adam was like, oh, man, wow, okay. So they ran out to Target, right? And they got some fig leaves on sale, okay? And they tried to make their own coverings. Right? The Bible says they made coverings for themselves. They tried to cover up their sin. Right? That's what they were trying to cover was their sin. The Bible says God came walking through the garden. I love that. God came walking through the garden, and the Bible says Adam and Eve, they tried to hide from God. Now, how crazy is that? But how many of you have done it? All you holy people. All right, thank you. Six of you that put your hands up. <clears throat> so God goes to Adam. Notice he goes straight to Adam. And he says, where are you hiding, son? Where are you hiding, <laughs> you know? What have you done? What have you done? What did, what did Adam do in Genesis 3? Pointed at his wife. Not only did he point at his wife, he said, it's the fault of the woman that you gave to me. So now he's not only saying it's her fault, he's saying it's God's fault. I mean, I don't know why he wasn't crisped right there. <laughs> okay? I was fine, everything was good, and then you gave her to me and wrecked the whole thing, you know? When you think Adam threw Eve under the bus, do you think there was a little tension in their relationship at that point? Right? Men, here, here's an FYI, in case you didn't know, you can't throw your wife under the bus without there being tension in your relationship afterwards, okay? And women, same goes for you. You can't do that to your man. So God went right down the line. Eve, what happened? After Adam tries to pass the buck, Eve, what's going on? Eve didn't throw Adam under the bus. Eve didn't throw Adam under the bus. She wasn't like, well, he should have been paying attention, but he was chasing those squirrels around, you know? He, he, she didn't do that. She talked about the snake. She talked about the snake. She was blaming, well, I know it was the snake. The snake showed up. So God, going right down the line, he went to the snake. And the snake can't point at anybody. Because he didn't have hands. Right? And so he's like, oh, crap. Right? So God cursed him at that moment. You know, he just he cursed him. Okay? So then he comes back up to deal with Adam and Eve. He comes back up to deal with Adam. Here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. Adam and Eve at this point, they're not on the same page with each other. Okay, there's tension in that relationship. It's safe to say there was tension in that relationship. There wasn't any bliss 
being experienced, right? But more important than that, that they weren't on the same page with each other, they were not on the same page with God. They were not on the same page with God. They had sinned, and the Bible says sin causes separation from God, right? Sin is the great separator. Sin's a great separator. It separated us from God, and now God said before that they deserved to die because they had eaten the fruit. If you eat it, you will die, right? The thought of uh, killing Adam and Eve on the spot, it broke the heart of God, it broke his heart. So here's the deal. Somebody had to pay for the sin, right? I don't remember what movie it was, but it, it, I think it was National Treasure. Somebody's got to go to jail, <laughs> right? Some, th- somebody's got to pay for the sin. Somebody's got to pay for it. So someone had to pay, and, and some, maybe you might be saying, well, if God's a God of love, how come somebody had to pay? How come somebody has to pay for that? Because God is also a God of justice. You don't want a God of love that's not a, also a God of justice. You just don't, okay? The Bible says this, and, and this verse is loaded in Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made. The Lord God made. Now, notice this. Not Adam and Eve made. Not Adam and Eve made. They tried to cover themselves, and they were unsuccessful, right? With the fig leaves that they got a target, right? So the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and, and clothed them. He clothed them. This is huge, okay? This is huge. If you do some research on this, and like Pastor Farrell says, look this stuff up. Research it, okay? Don't just go to Wikipedia either, please, okay? Do some real research, okay? I love Wikipedia, but it's not always true, all right? You should check this out, though, because it's fascinating, all right? Scholars say God most likely in this moment took a lamb. He took a lamb. And if you study this, you'll see that there was, at this time, there was nothing wrong with any of the animals. There was nothing, there was no, like, genetic mutation or anything freaky going on, okay? There's no freaky town. So God killed this lamb. And it's the first time that death had ever occurred on the planet. It's the first time there was death. So he killed this lamb. The lamb was innocent and hadn't done anything to anybody, okay? And the blood of that lamb is literally shed. The blood of that lamb is is literally shed. God takes the skin from the lamb and he covers the guilt and the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve with that lamb. He covers their, their sin. He, he, because of the blood of an innocent lamb, those who were marked for death, right? If you eat the fruit, you will surely die. Those who were marked for death could now walk away in freedom in Genesis 3, okay? Adam and Eve got on the same page with each other because, hey, look, the rest of the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, there's no, like, marital spats going on. Okay, you don't read about that in the rest of the book. Adam never, you know, if you had just not eaten that apple, things would be great. No, there's none of that, okay? There's none of that. They're on the same page. But more importantly, they're on the same page with God now because of the blood of an innocent lamb. Skip over to Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, it's to the right, okay? Just turn to the right. We see something later where the nation of Israel 
had gone down to Egypt, gone down to Egypt. We see this at the end of the book of Genesis, okay? The nation of Israel goes down to Egypt, and there's like 70 of them, all right? Before you know it, they started multiplying, and there's like 10,000, a million, I don't know what it was. But the, the Egyptians said, we have to enslave these people because they're going to figure out that there's a lot of them at some point, okay? So Egypt enslaved them. Egypt enslaved them. So the Israelites were literally made slaves to the Egyptian. The Bible says, and I can't get into it now, but the Israelites, they were beginning to mistreat each other. They were starting to mistreat each other at this time, okay? In other words, they weren't on the same page, right? They weren't on the same page. The Bible says there's actually a story of two Israelites fighting, and these guys are like, I mean, this is like cage fighting. This is like MMA, whatever, okay, going on. They weren't on the same page with God because as you read the first 10 or 11 chapters of Exodus, you see a nation of Israel crying out to God, how could you let this happen to us? How could you let us be in slavery? They weren't on the same page as each other and they weren't on the same page with God. So God finally had enough. God finally had enough. He said, I'm gonna do something about this. And he looked at the whole situation he said, I have had enough. I'm tired of you guys mistreating each other. I'm tired of you guys not being on the same page, right, with me. I'm tired of you guys not, God says, I'm, I'm tired of you not being on the same page with me. Somebody's got to pay for this deal. Somebody's got to pay for this deal. I'm going to do something so powerful, this is God talking now, that it sets the entire nation free and you're on the same page with each other and you're going to be on the same page with me. I'm going to do something so powerful that happens. So he goes to Moses. He goes to Moses and he says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my plan. My death angel is going to pass over the land of Egypt. And I'm going to kill the firstborn son of every living creature. The firstborn cow, the firstborn sheep, the firstborn goat, the firstborn chicken. And by the way, the firstborn of every human being is going to die. Okay. Now, some people push back on that, and they say, I don't think that's very fair, right? If you're the firstborn son, that kind of sucks, right? Okay? But listen, you don't want a God who's fair. You don't want a God who's our description of what fair is, right? We would all be in trouble with that, okay? Just because something isn't fair doesn't mean it isn't true. How many of you know Chris Johnson? He's a running back in the NFL. You ever heard of Chris Johnson? Anybody? Somebody Titans fan out there? Okay, thank you. All right. I wanted to make sure somebody knew what I was talking about. He's a running, running back in the NFL, okay? This guy can run the 40. This is 40-yard dash in 4.24 seconds. He's the fastest guy in the NFL. Well, as of last year anyway. Who knows what it's going to be this year, okay? 4.24, that's 120 feet. Okay, that's fast. He could be blindfolded on one leg hopping backward next to me running at like my fastest full sprint and he would still beat me. <laughs> That's not fair, but it's true, okay? Our campus pastor, Jeremy White, that guy can eat anything he wants. He can eat anything he wants and he doesn't gain weight. He could eat a half of a pecan pie and his muscles would get bigger, okay? <laughs> I just said pecan pie and gained four pounds, okay? It's not fair, but it's true, all right? It's not fair, but it's true. So Moses is kind of freaking out now. He says, 
You're going to kill the firstborn of, of every creature, including human beings. That's kind of bad. Okay, um, I'm not the firstborn, but Aaron was the firstborn, but still, okay, well, uh, he's going back and forth, and God says, all right, here's the deal, Moses, here's the deal. There's a way out of this. I'm going to give you an out, okay? So Moses whips out his pen and his papyrus, right, because they didn't have sticky notes then, and he's, I'm writing this down. I'm not going to forget this. God says, go out into the field, find a lamb, one that is without stain, one that is without blemish, right, without wrinkle, one that's perfect, a perfect lamb, and kill it. And Moses is like, kill it? Wow, okay. Yes, Moses, kill it. Take the blood of this lamb, take it and put it over the door frame, right, of the house. And when the death angel passes over Egypt, he gets to the house and sees the blood of the innocent lamb. He will pass over that house and my judgment and my wrath will not fall down on that house, right? Because of the blood of an innocent lamb, the ones who were marked for death and destruction, marked for death and destruction, can walk away in freedom. Then he says this in Exodus chapter 12. He tells Moses this. And this is huge. This is loaded, okay? Verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. Observe this ceremony. Ceremony of the Passover, where you go out and you kill the lamb and the blood is over the doorframe and you have a meal together. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it's the Passover sacrifice. It's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. The people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So don't miss this. After this event, after this event, the Israelites were now able to be on the same page with each other because they looked at this event where God had moved powerfully. God had moved powerfully through this and his wrath had fallen. His wrath had fallen, right? Except on those who had been under the blood of an innocent lamb. They said, you know what? We don't really have any reason to argue or fuss or fight with each other MMA style any longer, right? That's a great thing. Not only that, they were able to be on the same page with God after this event. They were on the same page with God. God told them, hey, practice this ceremony called the Passover every year. So after this event, every year for like 1,400 years, okay, they celebrated a ceremony that took place all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 to begin with. It went to Exodus chapter 12, went all the way through the Old Testament where the blood of an innocent lamb was shed so those who were marked for death could now walk in freedom and they were rescued from destruction. They celebrated this for 1,400 years and then Jesus shows up, right? John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. One day Jesus walks out and John the Baptist, this is in John chapter one, he identifies Jesus and he tells everybody, Look, the Lamb of God, right? I don't know about you, men, back me up on this. I don't really like being called a lamb. Okay? There's not a dude here that's like, man, I'm going to get a jersey of my favorite team, and I'm going to put, I'm the lamb on the back. Right? We like to be called, you know, dude, bubba, whatever, okay? So something, I don't know what the lamb thing is about, okay? But 
Now we do. I remember reading that thinking, why does John have to call him a lamb? John there in that moment is foreshadowing. John is foreshadowing. He's, he's, he's saying, hey, this is the guy. This is the guy who's going to pay for our sin. This is who, who's going to pay the, pay the price. Jesus did a ministry for three years. It was unbelievable. He did this thing with fish and chips, and he fed like 5,000 people, right? And he walked on water, and he turned water into wine. You know, that was a cool one, right? He did all these cool things. But then he comes to the end of his ministry, and right before they kill him, and the Bible says this in Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover land had to be sacrificed. Stop right there. This is what we talked about in Genesis 3. This is what we talked about in Exodus 12. This is the innocent lamb being killed so that those who were marked for death could walk away in freedom. Okay, this is what they were celebrating. The Bible says Jesus is getting ready to celebrate this because Jesus was an Orthodox Jew. He submitted to the law. He celebrated this. He was submissive to the law, okay? But the Bible says this in the next verse. Peter, uh, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. In other words, Jesus is saying, we're going to do this, guys. We've always done this. We've been doing this for, you know, 1,400 years. We're going to keep doing it, okay? We do this every single year. Don't, th- don't miss this, though. Then Jesus, he changes everything. He changes everything right here. If you skip down to verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, before I suffer. And the the disciples didn't know what that really, we know what that means now. We know what that means now. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then the Bible says this. After taking the the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then the Bible says, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is a big deal, okay? When we take the bread, it's not like, hey, here's a cracker and I'm a little peckish, so let me eat it. Okay? It's, this is a reminder. It's a reminder, right? When you hold the bread, when you hold even that little cracker, even that little cracker, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ was fully God, but fully man. Fully God, but fully man. He physically existed on this planet, and his body was broken for you and me. His body was broken. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6, and I'm flying through these because I had a lot of them, and they're not on the screen, but I'll give you my notes later if you want. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. Jesus Christ literally walked this planet. He literally walked the He died the death we should have died. He experienced that separation from God that we deserve to experience, right? He rose again. He's alive today at the right hand of the Almighty, just waiting on the word to come back and get us all. He's waiting on the word to come back. And this is our reminder when we're holding the bread. It's not, here's a cracker, let me get this over with, right? Because I got to get out the Bojangles and get some real food. 
It's Jesus Christ, you are more amazing than I ever thought or imagined. More amazing. Here's the kicker. And this is so beautiful. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In my blood, he said, in Jesus' blood. There's a new covenant in Jesus' blood because there was a covenant in the blood back in Genesis 3 where the blood was shed so the guilty could walk in freedom. In Exodus 12, the blood was shed so the guilty could walk in freedom. For 1,400 years, every year, they went through the Passover ceremony. They went through it every year. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, this is a new covenant in my blood, capital M, which is poured out for you. So when we take the cup, we're literally, we're literally reminded this is a, symbolic of, a, a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus. His blood on the cross poured out for you and me because we were born marked for death and destruction because of the fall. We were born marked for death and destruction, okay? But because of the death of Jesus Christ, you and I today are able to live in freedom. We can live in freedom from that sin because he paid the price on the cross. Jesus became the bridge between a God that we were separated from. You ever heard the bridge before? Okay, sound familiar? Yeah, that's what that's about. That's a great savior. That's not a savior that says strap, 70, or strap bombs to your body and run into a building and blow it up and I'll give you 72 virgins. That's, that's not a savior that says that. I will pay the price for you. I will pay the price for you. I will lay it on the line. I will hang on the cross for you. He gave that cup to us as a reminder. You ever gone back to a place that, that was familiar to you, where everyone knew who you were, right? You remember that show, Cheers, that used to be on? Anybody? It's... Okay, all right, thank you. I'm not the oldest guy in the room. The big guy, Norm, would walk in, right? He'd open the door and they'd be like, Norm, right? Well, I don't know if you know this, but Cheers is an actual place. There's, that's actually a bar in, in Boston, where I'm from, okay? All right? It actually exists. And that show was on, coming up on like 30 years ago now. Wow. Some, some, some of the folks that go in there to have lunch or whatever, they might remember this guy, Norm, or they might not. You know, a good majority of them, you know, they, they were born years after the show had gone off the air. They may have no idea who, it's, who that is, right? You could sit, you, Norm could walk in the door right now and sit down and sit down next to some of you, and you'd have no idea who he was. You'd have no idea who he was, right? That's how some of our church services are. It's like Jesus is sitting right there next to you. And, and, and people file in and out of the church. They walk in and out, and they sit down, and they go about their stuff, and they, don't have, they have no idea who he is. And that's why God gave us ordinances, so we would remember. So we would remember, okay? There's three things I want us to focus on really quickly in closing. And I mean that because we've got to go. <clears throat> and then we're going to take the, uh, worship, uh, the supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So worship team, if you, want, if you would, please come on back up here. Somebody get the worship team, please. <laughs> They're out there drinking coffee. 
Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Oh, John's here. John's a good guy. Okay, so there's three things I want you to focus on. Here they come. They're awesome. Number one is reflection. Reflection. This is a time for you to reflect on when it was exactly in your life that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Okay, it's a time of reflection. You confessed him as Lord. You received him into your life. And here's what I'm going to say. If you're not a Christian, then when we take the elements in a little while, the bread and, and the cup, this isn't for you. This isn't for you, okay? We are so glad you're here. We are so excited that you are here. We want you to come back. You know, with, with all our hearts, we want you to come back, okay? But the Lord's Supper is for those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. If anyone didn't get the elements as they came in, okay, that would like to take the supper, just raise your hands. We've got ushers that will bring them to you, okay? I want to be really clear here, okay? I'm going to share the gospel with you in about 30 seconds here. This is God, and here we are over here. There's a separation between us, right? There's nothing that we could do in and of our own power to bridge that gap. There's nothing we could do on our own, all right? He gave his body and his blood on a cross. He rose again so that he could make things right between him and us. And the way that you and I have a right relationship with God, the way that we're on the same page with God, and we know we're going to go to heaven when we die, is we confess Jesus as our Lord. He becomes the bridge for us. He bears the burden for us. It scares me, it scares me to death that there are people here tonight, and you may, you may have been going to church your whole whole life and you've never done this. Just because you've been in church your whole life does not mean that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't. I heard one, one person say, you know, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Right? You, maybe, you, maybe you prayed a, a get, get out of hell free card or prayed for that card, right? Jesus, just get me out of hell. Maybe you went through a confirmation class. Maybe you got baptized as a baby. But you had no idea what for, you know? I got baptized when I was nine. I don't know why. I didn't know what the purpose of it was. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, not get me out of hell free, not help me be a better person. That's not what it's about. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, that's understanding that God, I understand there is no way I could earn my own salvation. I believe Jesus died on a cross for me to take my place. And right now I'm acknowledging you as the Lord of my life. Jesus, you are Lord. I'm going to follow you the rest of my life to the best of my ability, to the best, of my, to the best I know how. I'm going to continue to grow closer to you. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is a time for reflection. It's a time for reflection. When was it that you confessed him as Lord? When was that? 
Number two, let me just say this first. There's people here tonight, chances are, and I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ in just a minute, okay? You've been in church all your life, and you've never done that thing. I just want to say one thing to you, if that's you. Don't let your pride send you to hell. Don't let your pride send you to hell. Number two is repentance. I just ask this. Is there anything in your life right now that you love more than Jesus Christ? Is there anything that you love more than Jesus Christ? If you're not willing to give that up, don't take the Lord's Supper. Just let the elements be passed to the side. If you're, look, maybe some of you have never heard somebody say this before. Maybe you've never heard a pastor say this kind of thing to you before, okay? And you're highly offended. You're a little tense right now, okay? No one's ever told me not to take the supper, right? That's because you didn't have a pastor and a staff that love you enough to try to help you prevent the judgment of God from falling on you. You don't mess around with this stuff, okay? This is serious stuff. If there's something in your life right now that you love more than Jesus, and you're not willing to say, Jesus, I surrender this to you, whatever it is, okay? Jesus is either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So if you're not willing to give that thing up, don't take the supper, okay? I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. This is not about legalism. I'm just saying if there's anything that you love more than Jesus, you've got to give that up. Number three, reconciliation. Reconciliation, okay? This is what brings us together. The Lord's Supper It doesn't matter what denomination you're from. It doesn't matter what denomination you're from, okay? It doesn't matter what you have going on in your life right now. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager, if you're a senior adult. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what country you're from. This right here, the Lord's Supper, this is the thing that unifies us. This is the thing that unifies us. Underground in China, they're going to celebrate this supper today. On the plains of Kenya, they've already done it. There's cathedrals in London where they're going to celebrate this supper today. 2,000 years ago, underground in Rome, they celebrated this supper. And someday we're going to get to meet those people in heaven. And we're going to sing with them. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Those people that took the same supper 2,000 years ago in hiding. Now, if it reconciles us on that level, husbands and wives, listen to me. If it reconciles us on that level, there is nothing that two people sold out to Jesus Christ cannot overcome. Nothing. Use this to reconcile your marriage. Use the Lord's Supper, the power of that reconciliation, to overcome the obstacles you're facing in your marriage. The rest of us in the room, maybe you have a problem, you have somebody in your life, maybe somebody you work with or you have to interact with, and you hate that person. Like you hate them. Like you pray for bad things to happen for that, to that person. Okay? 
The Bible says that if, if we cannot, we can't truly be in fellowship with God if we're holding something out on our brother or if we hate our brother. So maybe before you take the supper, you've just got to say, God, I've had some bitterness in my life. I've been holding some grudges. I've been carrying around some unforgiveness. And God, I need to let that go. I want to be right with my brother so I can be right with you. That doesn't mean you have to be their best friend, okay? It just means you need to let it go. You got to let it go. It blows my mind that God came here and, and gave himself as a servant for a screw-up like me. It just blows my mind. It really does, okay? When we take this supper and we literally turn our eyes back on Jesus, I want you to know I celebrate the fact that I used to be dead, but in Christ, I'm alive. Father, right now, you are an amazing Savior. Your word says, God, that you stooped down to make us great. And God, I know for me personally, you had to stoop down a little further. Jesus, today, after years of knowing you, I'm more thankful for my salvation than I have ever been. So right now today, God, I pray that married couples will be brought together under the fact that the body and the blood of Jesus was broken for them. God, if you did that for us, if you did that for us, God, surely we can work out any differences that we would have here on the planet. God, I pray if there's a Christian in this room that they're loving something in their life more than you, God, that they'll let that go. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's people in this room, you've never, ever done what Romans 10.9 says. You've not prayed a prayer, not get me out of hell, not been dunked. I'm, I'm talking about you've never recognized Jesus Christ's body broken and blood shed for you. Because of his death on a cross, I can be made right with God. If he died for me, I'll live for him. And I'll do that today, right now, by confessing him as Lord. If that's you right now, we don't normally do this, but I want you to stand up right where you're sitting. And you say, Scott, you know, I'd like to just kind of pray and maybe bow my head and not have to do that. I'm telling you, you stand up. Nobody look around. This is not a popularity contest, okay? Don't look around. Just stand up in your seat, right where you're sitting. If you need Christ, if you need to confess him as Lord, you stand up. God bless you. I see that. Anybody else? Just remain standing, okay? If you're a Christian, and you've moved away from God. Because let me tell you, if you feel like you're away from God, God didn't go anywhere. You did. If you need to rededicate yourself to him, if you need to rededicate your heart to Christ and make him again who sits on the throne of your life, take yourself off the throne of your heart and, and let him reside there. If you've done that, if you need to do that, Stand up. Stand up. If you're away from God and you need to be closer to him, stand up. Thank you. Praise God. Listen. Awesome.
just a moment, we're going to pray out loud together, okay? You say, Scott, that's scary. I, I don't pray out loud, okay? Jesus went to a cross, okay? We're not asking you to go to a cross, okay? He's not asking you to do that. He's already done that for you. He's asking you to stand up on your feet and confess him as Lord. And if you, you, you're standing now or if you stood up, I understand some people can't stay standing very long, but look at me right now. We're going to pray something out loud, okay? You don't have to scream it. We're going to pray it out loud, okay? We're going to do exactly what Romans 10:9 said. If you're ready to confess him as Lord, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. If you're ready to rededicate yourself to Christ as, as the Lord of your life, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you're ready to speak with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, let's pray together. I want you to say, Dear Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Save me from my sins. Take over my life. I give everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for some of you who are standing, you're about to celebrate a a ceremony, and it's going to be very powerful because it's the very first time you've done it, maybe. Maybe it's the first time that you've done it in a long, long time, and it has any meaning for you. I praise God for every single one of you and, and your obedience. I'm so thankful that you are willing to do that. You can have a seat. Let's give God a hand. Please let us know if you prayed that prayer.